All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. And I feel like I'm, I'm just right on the edge there. Royal, could you uh, lo- uh, lower the mic just a little bit? Thanks. We are here um, at GRX in series. And if you're new or visiting with us for your first time, I want to let you guys know that we are in the middle of a series on emotions and emotional health. And the whole premise of this whole idea of why we're doing this series is really to grow and be successful. Be successful in life, be successful in love, be successful in relationships, be successful in our spiritual life, to grow. You know, our, our spiritual growth is deeply tied with our emotional health and well-being. If we're folks that are emotionally uh, immature, if we're emotionally stunted, then our spiritual life will be stunted. Our relational life is going to be stunted. Even our work situations are going to be uh, compromised because our work relationships with our teams are going to be in trouble if we don't know what's going on and we don't have emotional maturity. So we've been going through a series of things, and my goal for the overall series, and you've heard this before if you've been here, um, I've got three goals for us, that we would name our emotions, we would name and identify what our emotions are, and then number two, we would respond to our emotions rather than just react. We respond to the emotions that we have rather than just react out of them. And then the third thing, that we would be transformed that God would transform our inward being. We'd be transformed from the inside. Today we're going to consider an emotion. It's kind of an emotion. It's really kind of a state of being. And it's called tiredness. It's I feel tired. A lot of these topics come from our life group leaders. When we met last November, we talked about the emotions that our people are experiencing. And tiredness was one of those that came up. I feel tired. And the movement that we're going to go through today is to move from tiredness to love. That might seem a little bit odd for you, I'd move from tiredness to love, but uh, as we unfold this message, I think it'll make sense for you. The main scripture we're going to start with is Galatians, where it actually talks about tiredness, talks about weariness. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, it says this. And let us not grow weary of doing good. The New Living Translation actually uses the word tired. The New Living Translation says, So let us not get tired of doing what is good. But I'll read from the ESV. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, you might hear this, and immediately, like, defenses might come up and go, oh, no, oh, no, I'm already tired. I just barely made it here on Sunday morning. I'm already doing so much. I'm so tired. Is this going to be a message, is this going to be a sermon about doing more stuff? Am I going to already try to cram more stuff? into my already busy schedule. Don't worry. This is not a message about doing more stuff. It's about naming our tiredness, understanding why we're tired, and responding to that 
and then being transformed by God. What we're really going to do is we're going to do this in a couple of parts, three parts really. I'm going to talk about first the causes of tiredness. The first part, the causes. What are the causes of tiredness? And then number two, solutions. What are some solutions of tiredness? And then number three, I'm going to try to make the bridge to being transformed to love. So number one are causes. Number two, solutions to tiredness. And then number three, being transformed to love. See if this is true for you. When I just check in with people and I talk with people, I walk around, I connect with people over coffee, and I say, "Um, how are you? I am struck by how many people say, I'm tired. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so tired. You even see it in their shoulders. You see it in their body language. You hear it in their voice. Hey, how are you doing? I'm so tired. You know people that talk like that, that are that way? And I'm like, wow, man. People in Silicon Valley, we are so tired. So tired. Okay, here's one of the causes of why we're so tired. It's because we simply do not get enough sleep. If you've been around GRX for a while, you've heard me say this before. We don't sleep enough. You've even heard me weave it into some spiritual exercises where I've talked about sleeping as a spiritual discipline where we get eight to ten hours of sleep a night, where we actually rest well. Some people would even connect it with Sabbath. But there are writers out there, Christian writers, James Bryan Smith, who who writes this way, Dallas Willard, who writes this way, a spiritual practice of sleep. Because when we sleep, we remember again that God is at work even when we're asleep. So if you're feeling really tired, Maybe your cause is that you're not getting enough sleep. So what I'd like you to do this week is go to bed. (laughs) It's super spiritual. At 10.30, go to sleep. Stop checking your email. Stop checking your Facebook. Stop Twittering your tweeting. Stop face snapping, whatever you do. Go to sleep, 10.30, all this week. Now, as a preacher, there's always a bit of a danger when you encourage people to sleep because you might be feeling sleepy right now. (laughs) I've been told in my preaching that I have a soothing voice. If you're coming to church today and you're really sleep deprived, uh, I would just encourage you to listen to my soothing voice. And if you fall asleep in this message then hopefully you're sitting next to someone with a very soft shoulder. (laughs) And that's good, because I'll look out and I'll see that you're already beginning to enact the message. (laughs) Application, that's good. All right, so if you're sleepy right now and you fall asleep, that's okay. But there's another cause for tiredness. And if we unpack it a little bit more, there's a tiredness that people feel It's a weariness. It's a tiredness in our bones. It's an apathy about our life, about the world, about our relationships, where 
you might just feel emotionally flat. You're emotionally flatlining. And it's a tiredness, and I point to the cause of that kind of weariness and that kind of tiredness as aimless. That sometimes there's a deep weariness in our lives and a tiredness in our lives because we are aimless. We are aimless with our lives, and we just feel like we're wandering. There's an article written by a guy. He's a doctor named Harry Johnson. He's got an MD. There's an article called That Tired Feeling. Listen to what he says about being tired. He says, Today's civilization, the most advanced in history, with the highest standard of living ever known, has produced a generation of bored, apathetic people. We seek entertainment, yet find it dull. We sit in front of TV sets watching shows and movies without really really noticing what we are seeing. We leaf aimlessly through newspapers and magazines. And I would add, we leaf aimlessly through websites and posts. We leaf aimlessly through newspapers and magazines. When we say, I'm tired, many of us really mean, I'm tired of what I'm doing. I'm tired of my way of life. There was a very small um, uh, study that was done by the Mayo Clinic many years back where all these people complained of being tired. And so they came and saw doctors and, and they were trying to find some kind of physical uh, meaning for why they were so tired, why they were so fatigued. And in this Mayo study, only 15% of the people were found to have any kind of physical reason for their fatigue. 85% of the people in this study were found to have some kind of emotional fatigue, some kind of something going on emotionally, an emotional tiredness. And I think one of the things that plagues us as a people is this sense of aimlessness. We're aimless in our lives. And we go from one thing to another, to another, to another. And we are on this sort of hamster wheel of life. And we don't really know what we're really aiming at. And I think when we live that way, there's a tiredness and a weariness that sets in to our very lives. If that's you, or maybe somebody that you know, there's hope for that. There's solutions to that. And so as we move into the solutions portion of this morning, what I'd like to say is that the solution to aimlessness is to aim. If you're feeling aimless and scattered, or if you know people whose life is just, what are they doing? And you look at their time and their activity, and you look at them, and it's a little bit like this sort of word picture. It's like their time and their life and their resources and their gifts. It's like water. And it's like it's just water being poured out on flat ground. And it's just being spread out and dissipating and being spread all over the place. That's what it means to be aimless. 
If you know someone whose life is kind of like that word picture of water being poured out on the ground, you might consider asking them this question. What are you aiming at? What are you aiming your life at? What are you aiming your life at? Now, you don't even have to necessarily be a follower of Jesus Christ or a Christian to ask that question. This is actually a really profound leadership question. If you're leading a business, you're leading a nonprofit, you're leading a school, you're leading your family, you're leading, the question is, what are you aiming your life at? Every good leader knows that he or she is aiming at a target. That's what a good leader knows. So here's one solution that you can do with your life or your friends can do with their lives if they feel like their life is aimless. It's an exercise that I call roles and goals. A lot of times it shows up in leadership stuff. I think I first picked this up through InterVarsity when they were doing this. Roles and goals. What you do is that you take your life and you break it down into smaller chunks. And in those smaller chunks, you define what your roles are. So in my family life, my role is to be a son or a daughter or a father or a husband or a wife or a mother. What is your role at work? That's another arena of your life. What is your role there? I'm a worker. I'm a manager. I'm vice president. That is your role in that environment. So that's the first part of this exercise, your roles and your goals. You start by figuring out what are the arenas of your life, and then you define your roles in them. And then the second part of the exercise are your goals. Within each of the area of your goals, in each of the areas of your roles, you define one or two goals. In the arena of my family, I am a son. And one of those goals I have as a son is to build my relationship with my parents. So one of my goals is I'm going to call them two to three times a week. Just checking on them. All of a sudden, I'm aiming at something. All of a sudden, I have purpose. I have a target. So that's how you would do that. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to do that. You can figure out some roles and then some goals. Now, what if you are a follower of Jesus? Well, then the question changes a little bit. The question is no longer then, really, what are you aiming your life at? For the followers of Jesus, then, the question is, where is God aiming your life? Where is God aiming your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? Galatians said this, and let us not grow weary, let us not get tired. Of what? As the followers of Jesus, of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What is he talking about there? He's talking about doing good in the kingdom of God. Doing good as a follower of Jesus. Because as followers of Jesus, we're not just living our own lives. We're living our lives 
following under the lordship of Jesus Christ, which means that we surrender our lives to God and to God's kingdom, to the leading of the Lord Jesus. So that's why the question changes from where am I aiming my life to where is God aiming my life? Because we bring our lives under the lordship. So let's not grow tired or weary of doing good, meaning doing God's work in God's kingdom. There's a guy named Rick Warren. Maybe some of you have read his book called Purpose Driven Life. Rick Warren sold like 50 gazillion, bazillion copies of this book. You're like, Purpose Driven Life. Like you go into any used bookstore and there's like a ton of these books all over the place. There's like millions of books all over the place. That's really a good book. If you've never read this book, I'd encourage you to read it. It's an old book. I ran into this book uh, one time in a season in my life where I was feeling kind of aimless, where I wasn't sure what was going on. And this book talks about God has a purpose for your life. It's purpose-driven life. And it opens up with this really great line. It's really the whole premise of the book. And this is the book. The message is this. Your life is not about you. It's not about you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is not about you. You were created for a larger purpose, a larger role in God's design for this earth. Your discipleship in Jesus, your growth, your maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ is to discover that purpose that is your purpose. It's not, it's not my purpose. It's not the purpose of the person sitting next to you. It's your purpose that God has designed and planned for your specific life. And I'll give you a hint about what that is. It will have something to do with love and it will have something to do with other people. Because that's the heart of God. It has something to do with love and your purpose will have something to do with other people. There's a story that Jesus tells and it actually speaks about the issue of aiming your life. And that's why I'm bringing it in here to talk about tiredness. Because if your life is aimless and if your life is dissipated, this is a story about what the followers of Jesus Christ are to be aiming at, how we aim our lives. It's a story out of Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. Luke 10, 25. And it's commonly called the story of the Good Samaritan. But it's actually a story about aim. It goes like this. Jesus is talking, and there's a lawyer that wants to test Jesus. It says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's what he wants to go. He wants to go to heaven. What should I do? What should I do? to get to eternal life. And Jesus says to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answers Jesus, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the aim of life right there. It summarizes it right there. Love God and love your neighbor. And that's what you should be aiming at. And Jesus says to the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Your aim is right on. That's the target. You've got it. But then the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then here's the famous story. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, the priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, and then get this, he had compassion. The Samaritan saw him, and then he had, like he felt, like emotionally, he had this affective, mature, God-centered love for this person. This compassion. He had compassion. And the story goes on. He went to him, bound up his wounds, putting, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever, you, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? That's what Jesus asked the lawyer. And the lawyer replied, the one who showed him mercy, right? The one who felt compassion. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The aim, love God and love your neighbor. That is the aim for us as followers of Jesus. And then we see this in the Samaritan. He's the hero. He had compassion. He had compassion. You know, when you look at that word compassion, you know what the center of that word is? It's passion. It's passion. It's passion. What are you passionate about? Passion is not just one of those kind of like, oh, I don't know, I just have passion. Passion is one of those heart, emotional kind of words. You have passion for something. You have passion for something. Now, I am, some of you guys know this, I'm kind of nerdy at my core. Um, Something that I have passion about is uh, insects. I love insects. But this is the thing about passion. If you love bugs, you have to be willing to embrace all of the nerdiness that comes with being a bug lover. Um, So one time there's a season where I was actually studying bugs at college, but it was really important for me to capture these bugs for the insect collection that I was doing for this class. It was a great class, by the way. 
It's called Entomology 100. It was so great. I highly recommend it. But what that class was, was you're, you're having to collect this insect collection, but you never know when you're going to encounter the insect that you need. So what I would do is I was walk around class, uh, I walk around on campus, is I would carry my insect net <laughs> with me, all right? Because you never knew when you needed that. But because I had passion, I overcame the nerdiness of that. But, you know, I was a little bit self-conscious at the time. I only brought one net with me. I only brought my aerial net that you catch butterflies with. Because I actually had two other nets at home um, for catching other kinds of uh, insects, the sweep net and then the aquatic net. Um, But I didn't want to carry all those nets. Because I didn't want to look like a complete geek. Um, So I just carried one, one net. Okay, But your passion moves you. There's a friend of mine that um, I used to know from the East Coast. We used to talk about passion because he was Italian, right? So Italians, they really knew passion. And uh, when he was uh, dating, and I, and I give this out to you guys because, uh, you know, next week is Valentine's Day, so here's a free one for you guys. Um, what he would do when he was dating was he would, uh, his, uh, his, his girlfriend at that time would be working um, up in, a, in an office building, and uh, at Valentine's Day and stuff like that, it would snow on the East Coast. And so what he would do is he would go out to her car and be covered with snow. And then he would draw on the windshield in the snow some kind of goofy, like, heart so that she could look down from her office and see her car. And he'd, like, leave a heart with his initials and her initials super nerdy, super geeky. But he said he did it because he was Italian and he knew passion. He had passion. He had passion. You know, passion is a really scary word. Compassion, passion is a scary word. Because if you live with passion, if you live with compassion... What happens is you might stick out. And right, what's the worst thing for us, right? We don't want to stick out. We just want to fit in. I don't, I don't want to stick out, right? That's fear. That's fear talking, right? And our big theme for this year is faith over fear. But that's one of the obstacles of having passion or compassion is fear of sticking out. Another fear about this is, well, if I do this thing, I might fail, right? If I help the guy on the side of the road, I don't know. I I don't know what's going to happen. There's a fear of failure. And that also is an obstacle to passion, right? Fear of sticking out, fear of failing. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of obstacles to living with passion or compassion, But let me say this, a solution to tiredness is to live with passion. A solution to tiredness is to look out onto the world and live with passion, live with compassion. See how God has wired you. What gifts has God given you? What passions has God given you? 
and then live in those because that will be very aligned with the purpose that God has for your life. And that will align. God will use that to align you to love Him and to love other people. For me, the way that I've used entomology to love God is that if you really look at insects and you study them close, you see that they're incredibly beautiful and incredibly complicated. And they are perfect. And that points me to our God who is incredibly creative and who is incredibly perfect and who has a design. And if you look at insects, it leads you to worship. It leads you to worship. God has also had me use that at times where I brought other kids into the love of insects and then the love of study and doing well in school and serving some kids in resource-poor areas out of a love for other people because Jesus says, what should we be aiming our life at? To love God and to love other people. To love God and love other people. And then to do that with passion. Let me end with this. When you are doing the things in your life that are aligned with God's will for your life, it doesn't lead to tiredness. It leads to greater passion. It leads to greater passion. Are you tired? Maybe just get more sleep. Maybe just get more sleep. If the person next to you has nodded off and is leaning on your shoulder right now, don't wake them up. Just let them sleep. Are you aimless? Are you feeling like your life doesn't have any aim? Then take some time to do some roles and goals. Don't do something gigantic. Just a few roles in your family, in your workplace, in your community. Just a few roles. And then maybe just one or two goals. Get some aim in your life. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this. Where is God aiming your life? What is your God-given purpose? I mean, the big aim, love God, love your neighbor. But it will be exciting to discover for you What is your specific purpose? What is God's design for your life? It's not aimless. It's purposeful. It's specific. For you to live with passion, compassion in the world. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I thank you that you do not call us to live lives of aimlessness but that you call us to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us specifically to live that way with passion towards you and to live with passion towards other people? God, I pray that you would show that to us. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to step into those areas 
that you have given us passion for. And God, I pray that you would lead us so that we might live as people mature in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.